Today's program is part of a special series brought to you by St. Agnes Medical Center and Every Neighborhood Partnership with funding provided by ACES Aware. Together, we are working to raise awareness about the effects of adverse childhood experiences in hopes of building a healthier community and a brighter future for our children. Dr. B explains the importance of acknowledging our stressors of the past in order to thrive in the present. Plus, she shares practical tips for coping through challenging times and building greater resiliency so you and your family can enjoy healthier and more fulfilling life. Hi, you're listening to Delusional Optimism with Dr. B, where we explore human resiliency and learn how people thrive even after adversity. We break down the complexities of the human brain so concepts are simple and relatable. It's fun and empowering to understand how your earliest experiences influence your relationships today. What makes you tick? Dr. B is a speaker, trainer, and consultant who understands emotions and human development from the inside out. Let's dive into today's episode. Here's Dr. B. Hi everyone, it's Dr. B with a new episode of Delusional Optimism and my co-host Seth Creekmore, so get to know him along with us now because this is so much more fun doing it with a co-host. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about what babies need right from the start, birth, to 24 months or zero to two. If you're interested in furthering this conversation, please email me at contact at drbconnections.com. Or if you just want to know more about me, go to my website at www.drbconnections.com. All right, let's get started. Hey everyone, just a quick note about today's episode. We had some technical difficulties near the end of this episode. You should be able to hear everything that's being said, but just so you know, you aren't going crazy. Dr. B does sound a little bit different at the end here. So either way, hope you enjoy and get something valuable from this episode. Well, hey everyone, it's Seth Creekmore. Welcome back to another episode with Dr. B. What is our topic today, Dr. B? Our topic today is what babies need right from the start, birth to 24 months, so zero to two. Let me tell you why that's an important place to start, because I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again, and I'll probably say it multiple times, but Parenting and understanding children, it's like having a loaf of bread. It's slices of ages and stages that children go through that then have experiences woven in. So that's how I want people to think about parenting, not as, oh, I parented my child from birth to 30, but I parented my child this way from this period of life because this is what they needed. And then they grew a little bit and they needed something different. So I had to adjust my parenting to meet their needs. And now they're growing up into this new period. And so I have to continuously adjust because people believe, oh, I'm either a good parent or a bad parent. It's not that black and white, folks. It's very, very dynamic. And so... What I wanted to do with with this series is really break it down into some of those, exploring some of those slices very specifically so people can relate to, oh my gosh, my toddler is making me insane. I'm the only Mm. person and I'm a bad parent. When in reality, 
that's what toddlers do. <laughs> right. And it's okay. And so we can kind of laugh about it. What are the common myths that you've heard about, like, this is how to best parent from zero to two that you feel like are harmful or misleading? Okay, I'm going to tell you the number one, I wish I could just put an alarm on the roof of my house <laughs> with, a, with a bullhorn that said, you cannot spoil a baby. Picking oh. up the baby is not spoiling the baby. That is mm. wrong information. And if you know somebody who wants to have that conversation, let's do it. Because <laughs> babies have one way to communicate, and that is through crying. And babies are adapting to the new environment in which they've been born into. And so they have to get to know, love, and trust the people who care for them. And the way they do that is by us holding them close and really always saying to them, you're safe, you're secure, I love you, I will take care of you, because that gets wired into their entire constitution of their being. And we want that to start right at the beginning. And so... That's really my biggest message is that you can't spoil a baby. So if you're thinking, don't pick up the baby if they're crying, nope, pick up the baby. The other thing is mm. trust your instincts as a, as a mom or a parent. Don't listen to what other people say about it. If you have a gut feeling about your baby, it is probably spot on. It might be way sooner than somebody else notices. It is an intuitive connection you have with that baby, particularly because that baby has grown inside of you and been one with you for 10 months, really. It's only experience of being separate from you happens at birth when another really gigantic transition happens. A baby goes from breathing water to breathing air in an instant from birth. Wow. Yeah. Okay, think how amazing that is. Like, Let's just pause. <laughs> let's just pause on that. That's a thing. <laughs> that is a big thing to do before you're even three minutes old. Yeah. Like, you didn't have to go to college for that. Like, you're, you naturally did this gigantic thing. So in the realms of what you said, the, the myth of, like, that you can spoil a zero to two-year-old, for the mothers and the fathers out there, where's the, I guess, is there a line of maybe you haven't slept in 16 hours? Like, what what is the point where it's just like, I... The, the greater good like where's you know the greater good of also i need to take care of myself so i can take care of my child right. um, i can just see a lot of parents just completely forgetting about their own self and their own needs and it just becoming completely focused on the child how do you find that balance and, and where do you yeah how do you do that well the beauty of infancy is that it is a relatively limited period of life <laughs> <laughs> we don't stay tiny needy, overwhelming, exhausting human beings for really that long. You know, they're highly, highly needy the first, you know, six months of life, the first year of life for sure, because they're just, they know, they come and they know nothing, (laughs) you know. Mm. But here's the thing. What they do know is being with us, being close to another human being. So, 
We do this as adults, but we do this because we do this with babies. We regulate each other. So when I stay calm and I hold my baby close to me, guess what? I'm teaching my baby how to regulate calmness as well. So if I can carry my baby, one of the things that I like the least in the world of inventions, even though I know they're necessary, but the the baby carrier, you know, Mm. it separates the baby from the body of the parent or the caregiver. I love wraps. I know everybody can't always wear them, but where you wrap your baby and you keep them close to your body, and then they just move around with you in that first, especially year of life where... They just cruise with you like they did in utero. Hmm. Because truly, the only reason that babies are born so immature, you know, they're born usually under 10 pounds, neurobiologically not fully developed. The first three years of life are spent, you know, really laying the foundation of the brain we've talked about. But the reason that babies are born that immature has nothing to do with a good reason other than we walk on two feet. Women Mm. cannot carry a baby longer than about a 10-pounder and still be a species that is bipedal, that walk on two feet. I've never thought about that. It's the evolutionary piece. So if you think about... Animals, four-legged animals, this is why elephants are pregnant for two years because Mm. it would be so dangerous for a baby elephant to be born into their environment at one year of gestation. But because Mm. elephants have, you know, walk on four legs, their Mm. body can, can maintain a pregnancy for much longer than a human. In theory... It would actually probably be much better for a baby if the mother were capable physically to walk on two feet and hold that baby in utero for an extra, you know, 10 months. Now, moms would hate that. Like, I would have been like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah. But in terms of babies, you know, just they're so much more protected because guess what? They are with us. 24-7 all the time, which is what a newborn baby does need. We get sidebarred with, oh, we need, and and this is a global difference. Like in the U.S., we're a very independent nation. We believe that, you know, build up your independence. And we throw newborn babies into a crib across the house from day one, you know, in in their nursery. But in reality, in a lot of places in the world, babies come straight home, like they're birthed at home and or in a hospital and come home, but they sleep with their parents or their mother. And actually, the research does show that with a, a parent who is unmedicated, not using any, you know, alcohol substances, but a healthy mother-baby dyad who sleep together, one... It helps the baby and the mama's heart regulate together. Mothers get more quality sleep, and so do babies. Hmm. So the thing that we say is, oh, yeah, put them in a crib because, you know, then you'll get your sleep. Well, any mother knows that when their baby's away from them after having them a be parasitic relationship for yeah, <laughs> 10 months. Literally. <laughs> literally. Yeah. We're like, oh, my gosh. I... 
I literally brought Lainey home from the hospital, my middle, my first birth born child, Mm -hmm. had a crib, all the things, put her in the crib, went to lay down to take a nap and was like, oh yeah, this is never going to happen. I couldn't, (laughs) I couldn't even close my eyes. I had to go check on her and make sure she was alive every two minutes. Finally, I pulled her out of the crib, slept with her, ended up sleeping with her for three years Mm -hmm. and... Her crib became the diaper toy holder. I carried the crib around for ever, and no baby ever slept in the crib. Oh, interesting. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, I used the crib. I would put it in the kitchen. So, like, if I was cooking and somebody was a toddler, they could, like, be up high and be chatting with me and involved while I was doing things. But they they never slept in the crib necessarily you know it just that worked for me and there's lots of versions of that that can work that work for other people let's talk about some realistic examples of how we survive birth to two i don't know seth if you have any friends with babies and what their biggest challenges are with this age group but yeah. do you have things that like your friends or people that you know in with that stage of life they struggle with? Yeah, some of my friends it's just one it's it's um managing t- their time, <laughs> manage knowing what to do when the baby's obviously upset but nothing seems to be working and and then just your your social your social time takes a hit. I mean yeah. everything is about the baby. The baby. Um, and and that's just all consuming and I think that's it's a, especially for newer parents that's got to just be quite startling and and overwhelming to all yeah. of a sudden have your entire life upended okay that's a uh, that's a super like kind of lead-in because it is upending and parents have had this 10 month period to prepare sort of in their mind of what it's going to be like and then they have this baby and it's like nothing like that (laughs) yeah yeah. it's nothing like that they're like wait a minute i can't sleep in in the morning anymore or i have to be up multiple times a night you said another part in there about nothing that parents do soothe the baby and then that's that Right there is the heart in a lot of ways of this period of birth to two, mm-hmm. because especially in the earlier months, because we're so unfamiliar with the newborn infant, you know, or even the young infant that they're like this, you know, they're not even like as familiar as a puppy. Like we kind of know what mm-hmm. to expect from a puppy, but you like go, here's this baby and you go, <laughs> oh my gosh, it's a live doll. I don't like yeah. know what to do. And nobody really tells you. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, I have a live tiny human that is depending on me. Yes. That is terrifying. Yeah. And it is, and it is terrifying because you didn't really get an accurate view of what that was going to be like, you know, mm-hmm. because yeah. we only experience ourselves having a frontal cortex like a rational mind that's our experience of ourselves right that's when we come into self-awareness now you're handed something that doesn't have that and will not have that for several Mm -hmm. years probably a decade (laughs) yeah so now you're dealing with somebody who doesn't even think the way you do 
let alone have any of the, you know, that has all these needs that are confusing and different. Mm -hmm. So this is what I love to say to young new parents. Take the baby and just say, I want to do whatever it is that you need from me. I love you. I want to take care of you. I need you to help me. Tell me what it is that you like me to do. Do you like me to jiggle you and bounce you? Do you want me to hold you like this? Do you want me to hold you like this? I'm here for you and it's okay for you to be upset. And we're going to get through this together. Mm. Now think when you're upset as even a grown up, how comforting it would be if somebody, your partner, your best friend, somebody in your family just grabbed you and said, it's going to be okay. I'm here for you. I'm going to like ride this out with you and I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to make you go cry by yourself and figure it out. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be here with you. Mm -hmm. Even, and I can tell that you're really mad. And then we try all the things. Like, there really is a hunger cry, a I'm wet, need a new diaper Mm -hmm. cry, I'm a sleepy cry. And so when we start to hear those differences, which relatively early parents are aware of, You can say, I know you're so tired and you just need to let yourself go to sleep. It's okay. I'm here for you. Mm -hmm. Just let Mm -hmm. yourself go to sleep. And they're still going to cry. But the problem is we get so wound up that we're failing because they're crying. Mm -hmm. But we don't get wound up when people say, hey, I need you to move the car. You know, it's a need. I need you to move the car. They're just using different words. They're using words, Mm -hmm. and babies are using crying because it's all they have. And Mm -hmm. you have to figure it out. So if you just go through the list of like, hmm, I'm wondering what this baby is needing. I'm wondering what the baby is needing. And maybe they just need to cry. But I'm not a big fan of just putting the baby off into a room and letting them cry or sleep, you know, training them to sleep. Because what we're saying to babies, and we'll probably, I'll probably take a lot of heat for this, maybe, because this is one of those two-sided arguments, but we're not training babies to do anything. They can't understand being left in a dark room to sleep or cry themselves to sleep. They just cry themselves to exhaustion and happen to sleep. Mm, interesting. Yeah. But what we do, but what we can do is, you know, as children get older, then we can set boundaries around sleep, mm-hmm. but we're not there yet in the first slice of bread. We right. have to set up routines that work for us and for the baby and it doesn't always fit into our life pre-baby yeah because they're on their own now now they are on their own life plan (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and we are on the ride with them and they they really are in charge in a lot of ways And that's so good for us to support. We want them to be in charge of their lives 30 years from now. So when we guide them from the beginning rather than take it over, Mm -hmm. we're just walking them to the space of saying, hey, 
you can do it. You're on your own. You 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 did it. I still love you. I'm still here. Mm-hmm. But we've we've gone through this guided path and process. Two realistic examples of things that babies do between birth and two that parents don't necessarily understand as very, very typical development. And the baby has to go through these stages in order to grow on a healthy trajectory. One is around object permanence. So babies come into the world and as soon as something disappears from their view, they're what they think is, oh, hey, it's gone. It's it's gone forever, mm-hmm. which is why babies cry when their parents leave the room because they think, oh, my gosh, that thing that I love so much went away. Yeah. Now, think about it in terms of sitting in a high chair with food on the, you know, or a spoon on the a high chair. Think about a 12 month old who's mm. fiddling with food on a high chair, maybe not even a year, you know, younger than a year. They take a spoon or something that's on the high chair, and they drop it over the ledge of the high chair. What does it do? It disappears. Then, so they're like, oh, that's kind of fun. The parent says, (laughs) oh my gosh, you threw it on the floor. And they pick it up and they put it back on the high chair. Mm -hmm. So now the baby's saying, hey, this is weird. Baby, like I threw that over the edge and it was gone. But yeah. it, now it's reappeared and you're the magic person who put it there. <laughs> like, I have attention now. Yeah. Now it's like, I'm going to do that again. See if that works <laughs> again. And now the parent's like, stop throwing the spoon off the high chair. Mm-hmm. But then they put it back on and the baby's like, they really are magic and super cool. Because <laughs> we've got now we've built this game of dropping things out of sight and the, the, care, the person bringing them back to them. And it's like, boom, an initial awareness about object permanence and whether things go away forever or not. Wow. But it's very immature. It's very, very, very immature. It's just sort of the beginning of that idea. So that that makes me think of this this theory in Enneagram world where it's called object relations triad. So it's basically it's how each type relates to the person who provided the nurturing function and the person who provided the protective guidance support function. Um, Sometimes it's the same person, sometimes it's different people. But then when you don't perceive that you've gotten that need met, then you have a particular supposedly predisposed um, affect, emotional affect that you experience. So those three groupings are frustration triad and then you have the rejection triad and then you have the attachment triad so frustration triad is one fours and sevens and sevens didn't experience that nurturing function and they become frustrated so like the idea of like you're you're the baby is lying on the changing table and is trying to get the mother's attention and the mom's on the phone and for for some for some babies just like no no big deal just distracted somewhere else but for for someone that's predisposed into that seven position they're like Oh my goodness, I'm so frustrated. I'm not getting the thing that I need yeah. is that nurturing section. And then ones didn't get that protection and support function. And that's kind of, at least in this theory, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the uh, 
kind of happens a little bit later in life where they start to relating to their whoever is holding that protective support function where it's like come on you can do this like walk to me yeah. you got this I, I'm, I'm, I'm holding you up I'm trusting you and when they don't feel like they've gotten that then they feel they need to they have to develop that themselves because they don't feel like they got that and then so then for the four it's more along the lines of uh, they don't feel like they got either Mm. And so both are kind of anemic. Okay. And like I just feel like me being as a four, I don't feel like I got the nurturing. I perceived I didn't get the nurturing or the protective guidance function. So I have to do this all by myself. And I just, I feel out of sorts. I don't yeah, know I what can't. I'm supposed to do in the world. How do I do this thing? Um, yeah. yeah. And then the other grouping is two, five, and eight. That's, uh, that's the rejection. They feel rejected. So the thing that they didn't get, they lop it off. Because it's just, it's better to be able to reject that first so no one can reject me in that way. And then the last section is the nine threes and sixes. That's a lot more complicated with the whole attachment thing. But basically they they become attached to the thing that they perceive people want from them. And instead of actually accessing their own sense of being, um, they just become attached to something else um, in order to perform in that way so that's super interesting uh, yeah it's great and it and it um actually like fits so well with depth psychology because it is depth psychology Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, (laughs) but mm -hmm. um the the frustration support and attachment was that what the three were frustration rejection oh rejection yeah for for yeah Okay, so I think about this like in terms of that scenario with the high chair, mm-hmm. because this is how family, how parents sometimes react. You throw it over the over the ledge, and if somebody puts it back, and then you throw it over the ledge again, but they get frustrated and they stop playing the game with you and they don't give it back, that could elicit a lot of frustration for the baby. Because they're Mm. like, whoa, I kind of learned that, but I want to do it again. But Mm -hmm. you're not doing it again. And now I'm frustrated. Or or the parent could reject the baby and be mad because they keep throwing the spoon on the floor. And they're like, they just think they're doing it to be annoying. Mm. But in reality, it's a developmental experience object permanence throwing it over Mm -hmm. but they get rejected and angry feelings back then the what was the attachment one attachment more along the lines of apparently what i have to offer is not enough and i'm expected to be this thing over here yeah so it's an attachment to this thing over here instead of actually like in the threes case it's like uh the language that i've heard used is like they almost graft on a fake heart Okay. In order to perform emotions and those sort of things instead of actually like feeling what they're feeling. It's like, I'm supposed okay. to be feeling this, so I'm going to make that. <gasps> yeah. Yeah, okay. make that happen. So, so in the case of the, the high chair situation, throwing the thing over, I think that, okay, there's the rejection or the parent who just sends the message that it's not okay to be who you are and just won't play the game. Mm-hmm. And so their their person who they're attached to is they are not good enough to mm-hmm. please that person. 
because yeah. they're doing this thing that's very, very, very normal for a, a young baby to do. Mm-hmm. But their attachment figure is not having the response with them, like right. the dance that, oh my gosh, this is so fun. I get it. Mm-hmm. You're do- we're doing this together. And so then they get the message that they have to be different. They can't do that game. And so right. they end up holding it in. And they're they end up almost agreeing, like, you're right. I'm not worth I'm not worth your time. I'm not worth your time and I'm not worth playing this fun game with and yeah. I'm not worth sharing the excitement of my new experience. Mm-hmm. Because babies do the same thing with TV remotes. Everyone who has a one year old has had that baby grab the TV remote <laughs> and turn the one off. Like turn the button off. And then if you think about from a baby, all of a sudden, boom, the the screen goes black. And then the parents like, "Give me that. No, you're not. Don't play with our TV remote." And turn the TV back on. And then the baby's like, "Whoa, it tur- it came back <laughs> on." You know, think yeah. about for a, a little baby, a 1-year-old who's like, "What a lot of that's a ton of power to have in one button to just Yeah. Boom, And then when we can participate with babies like that, then we're empowering them to Mm -hmm. learn from all these experiences that they're having for the first time that for us, you know, we're in our 30s, we've hit the remote button a million times. It's no big Mm -hmm. deal anymore. (laughs) It's not, but we want (laughs) to... It's not magical. It's not magical. We want to share that with our littles. Toddlers are supposed to be... A little defiant, you know, they, the really true mm-hmm. truth about a toddler is that all they care about is me, 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 you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is why they always say me, my, mine, you know, mine, yeah. mine, mine. They're like <laughs> a little mm-hmm. or me do, me do, you know, like get away from me. I'm doing this. And we want to celebrate their rejection of us to some degree, because it says, oh, yeah, right. they're finding a little bit of their independence. Differentiation. Differentiation. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so we want to let them set them free in a safe circle. Like, it's a safe zone. We don't set them free out in the front yard and let them, like, cruise. <laughs> well, <laughs> hopefully. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully. Maybe a few decades ago. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but... Now we definitely don't. We keep them in, you know, a safe zone, but we let them be away from us and we accept Mm -hmm. their no, no, no's without taking it personally and being mad that somebody told us no and you're Mm -hmm. only a baby. You have no right to tell me no. I'm the grown up. Well, you know, I'm a big fan as we jump over in Hello, Optimism and Resilience. Yes. Of trying to find the humor and the joy in these early awarenesses that babies have for the first and only time they're ever going to experience them for the first time. And when we can start to recognize those opportunities that they're learning something for the first time, that's so joyful for parents to see the wonder and excitement in their baby. Even if it's a even if it's something that's annoying. Yeah. And like the TV going off and on and as soon as you take the remote they scream. Mm. You know like 
Yeah. Give it back to me. Yes. And, you know, sometimes that means we have to, you know, well, that really means we as adults need to think about that experience differently. Because if mm. you learn to do something for the first time as an adult, you want to keep doing it over and over again because that's how we get better at it. Now, so turning, you understand it. Yeah. Yeah, and understand it. And turning the TV on off, turning the TV off and on, or turning a light switch up and down, or, you know, doing dumping stuff out, filling it up, dumping stuff out, you mm-hmm. know, over and over again. These are things that are so normal but can be really frustrating for parents. Mm-hmm. But when we look at it from that perspective and we can see it with some humor and joy and love, then it doesn't become as annoying. Right. We understand right. that it has a place in the world and we need to set the world up for the baby where those kinds of experiences can be had that don't make us crazy. I think it's also really important to to bring up once again that I think there can easily be, be put a ton of pressure on a parent to do it all right. Like I I don't ever want my baby to be frustrated or rejected or to right. feel like they're not worth my time, but it's it's also just a, a perce- they're going to perceive things how they perceive things and you can't control that. Right. You can only show up and be as loving and and show up as much as you can in that moment. And there's no, there's no not giving them difficult ways in which they view the world. It, it right. is just, you just have to do what's, what makes sense in the moment. Absolutely. Yeah, so inactionable takeaways in this sort of zone. If we think about, number one, accepting the fact that you are not going to do it perfect every time you're not even going to do it the best you could every time i mean you're going to mess up period just accepting the truth and reality that we don't have to be perfect parents in order to raise resilient children that's just a big lie that we're told Mm -hmm. um, in the universe somewhere but it's not true but we can also set things up to be win-wins for babies and ourselves. We know that babies are going to, we don't want to take away the challenges in life because then they'll never learn how to overcome challenges. So you don't want them to come to a gate and always lift them over. Let them figure out how to climb over the gate. Like yeah. it buys you a little bit of time before you need a higher gate. <laughs> So, you know, think of it as a money saving tactic. It's a money saving tactic. It's a roadblock. Like, when, mm-hmm. but if the TV going off and on, off and on, off and on is going to create a breach in the relationship, mm-hmm. then if it's at all possible, find a way for the baby to get that experience without mm-hmm. it being a problem. Either find set up a TV in a different room or a different space and just let the baby turn the TV off and on, off and on, off and on. Yeah. If you're doing something else and it doesn't matter, just say, let's play TV and then they can play Mm -hmm. the game. Or do you want to turn on the lights? Or this was the biggest actionable takeaway that I want people to go away with after you can't spoil an infant, which is say what you're thinking and say what you're feeling to the baby all the time, mm. from the beginning. Hey, 
I'm feeling really frustrated, like I can't make you happy because you want to play with the TV and we can't do that game right now. But we're going to play that game again and you don't, you won't feel so frustrated. And we're giving babies words. They are not understanding those words necessarily the way an adult would, but it is becoming part of their internal dialogue that somebody hears them, understands them, feels them, listens to them. Yeah. And even when we go outside and I'm just carrying a baby and I say, oh, like, this is an interesting tree. Do you want to feel the bark on this tree? Mm. Let's feel this. It's rough. And it's look, it even has a funny smell and whatever. So we're we're telling babies about the world that they live in, that they've come into. If you think about it, Mork and Mindy, (laughs) the baby is Mork. (laughs) The baby is Mork and you are Mindy. So we have to explain everything to the baby, even though they can't understand it. But down the road, they're going to start putting the pieces together. Mm. And so those are the, there's one more actionable takeaway that's super important, especially with toddlers. We have no power over anyone eating, sleeping, and toileting. You can tell people to eat, but you cannot make them chew and swallow mm-hmm. at any age. You can tell people you need to go to sleep, and you can make them lay in the bed, close their eyes, be quiet, but you cannot make somebody go into a deep sleep mm-hmm. unless they want to. Right. And you cannot make somebody go to the bathroom if they don't want to go to the bathroom. So these are places where parents get into huge power struggles with children, Mm. little toddlers especially. And the thing I always say is, you know what? Set the boundaries that you can keep and let the rest of it go. If somebody says, I don't want to go to bed, I don't want to go to bed, I don't want to go to bed, or are not ready to lay down, we just keep saying, It's time to lay down, and you don't have to be asleep, but you do have to lay down. Now, toddlers and under twos can't really grasp. You're probably going to have to lay with them, you know, there's just, or let them figure out what the routine is. There are so many ways to do a routine with an Mm -hmm. under two, but consistency, predictability helps stability. So if they eat, Mm. take a bath, lay down for with a parent or somebody for relaxing time, maybe some massage there. And they do that every single night. The baby's brain starts to wire in. Oh yeah. I'm taking a bath now. Oh yeah. Now I'm getting that comfy massage and now I'm in my jammies and I'm ready to go to sleep. It doesn't happen the first time you do it, but on the 21st time they're Mm -hmm. starting, they've got a neural pathway that says, Oh Yeah. yeah, this is what we do. But if you do it different every single night, every single night, they have to do it different. We confuse ourselves. If we just, we can take steps that make things more predictable for the baby because they're more Mm -hmm. predictable for us. The more I listen to you, the more I'm like, my goodness, we're just babies in big bodies. We are babies Um. (laughs) in big bodies. I always say that. Yeah. What language do you speak, Dr. B? Oh, uh, baby talk and English. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Adult English talk. has a second language, actually. Yeah, English um, is a second language. Yeah. 
So. Awesome. Well, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay, everybody. So I love you. Leave a life print. Bye, Seth. Great to work with you See always. Ya. And until next time. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I appreciate the opportunity to connect with you. If you're interested in booking a training, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at my website, Dr. B Connections. There's a big button that says, book a training with Dr. B. It's that easy. If this show has been beneficial for you, please share it with your friends and family. Spreading the word about the show helps us grow our audience and helps continue to change the world together. Again, thanks so much for listening to Delusional Optimism. Now, go leave a life print. Thank you for listening to this special episode of Delusional Optimism brought to you by St. Agnes Medical Center and Every Neighborhood Partnership. We hope you're encouraged by Dr. B's message and find her tips helpful for managing life stressors and building a more resilient self. For more episodes in this special series, please visit St. Agnes Medical Center's website at www.samc.com. This episode is produced and published by the editing team at TruthWork Media. TruthWork Media is a full-fledged podcasting and social media agency located in South Bend, Indiana, with clients all around the world. For more information, visit them at truthworkmedia.com. These materials and all discussions of these materials are for educational purposes only and do not constitute medical or mental health advice. The presenter is not a licensed mental health or medical service provider. If you need medical or mental health care or advice, you should contact your doctor or therapist, or you can contact your insurance company for a referral. This show and all of its contents are copyright 2020 Dr. B. Leave a Life Print. Reproduction or use requires written consent of Dr. Kristen Beasley.